Let's get it. You dumb baby, I'm talking about that tall line. Meet me on a 50 and it's gonna be a dog fight. Ask the girls and you know they're all lying. Hello, dog fans. I'm Brandon Boyd, and welcome to the Boyd Meets World podcast. Joining me tonight is the only guy I'd want to eat all-you-can-eat pancakes with, Michael Stanton. Stanton, how are we doing tonight? We're doing great, other than the fact it was dark before uh, 5.15 tonight, so uh, that's pretty uh, demoralizing, but yeah. again, I guess that's expected. So Yeah, we're basically eating eating lunch in the dark at this point. It happened, <laughs> it happened so fast, I don't know how that went down, but uh, yeah, very, very dark. Speaking of dark and demoralizing, the reason I was th- talking about pancakes is that's kind of how we became friends is we started to go to Denny's and eat all-you-can-eat pancakes for $8 in high school. Um, pretty much the only people in this Isquad Denny's while, while that happened. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah, that was a great and also uh, somewhat eye-opening experience. You, you get one opportunity to do that in your life and it's in high school with the metabolism that you have when you're 16 years old uh, and we exactly. took advantage. Um, all right. Well, we're going to get going today talking about the dogs. Quick technical note here. Normally the, the beautiful sounding microphone that I, that I speak into, uh, is at my workplace. So that's not going to happen tonight. So we're talking through, uh, in a different way, the microphone, I, I, I don't have it. So we're doing this with the same technology that Franklin Roosevelt recorded his, his fireside chats from, uh, which is an iPhone six. So let's do this. And we've got plenty to talk about tonight coming off of a 38 to three victory over Oregon in a very ideal unfolding of events across college football this past weekend. To organize our thoughts, we'll start off with our four down segment with our four big points about UW football. Stanton, first down is yours. All right. So I think with any uh, NCAA all-time record being broken, you have to start with that. So I'm starting with Dante Pettis' uh, record-breaking punt return for a touchdown. Uh, totaling his ninth in his career, which surpassed Antonio Perkins of Oklahoma back in 2001-2004 and Wes Welker of Texas Tech back in 2000-2003. So was uh, was uh, cl- just a classic return from Pettis, kind of weaving his way through the, through the uh, defenders into the end zone um, for 64 yards and uh, was a nice capper to what was eventually a blowout win for the Huskies this weekend. I thought I'd go through the nine punts, punt returns for touchdowns that he has amassed so far, starting with his first one, which was at Colorado back when I believe he was a freshman. We're at number 87. Um, yeah, 87. It was on November 1st, 2014. He was, wasn't, uh, wasn't cool enough to get the single-digit jersey back then. Yeah, yeah, he was just a, a young pup for us. But uh, he that was his only... Return in 2014, but in 2015 he got two. Uh, one at Boise State for 76 yards. One of the only one of the few bright spots of that game, which was just a really disjointed and weird weird game. Yeah, Jake Browning's uh, first start. Yep, and as Peterson's homecoming to Boise State, probably the worst seats I've ever had at a football game was there. It was I was in a bleacher that you find at like a uh, like a children's baseball field nice. was on basically as low as the players so i couldn't see anybody as all the players were blocking the field so you i just, watched half the game looking at the scoreboard you just took it took board. it straight from tibbets and brought it all the way to boise exactly it was actually a pretty disappointing stadium so oh. sorry to all of our boise state listeners out there um but number th- moving along number three was that same season in november of uh of the 2015 season against oregon state for 89 yards um which was his longest return um and 
And then moving along to Rutgers in the 2016 season, uh, we'll come come up to the next another one against Rutgers later in this list. But uh, that one was for 68. And then number five, it's probably the biggest return, even though it was the shortest of uh, only 58 yards. It was in October of, of 2016 at Utah, and it basically broke open the game, which yep. was at, the, at that point tied 24-24 with 3.25 left. And he returned to 58 yards uh, for the score, went up 31-24, and the rest is history. Moved on to 8-0. Um, and, and with that one, he passed Bean O'Brien for the UW uh, record for punt return touchdowns. Uh, number six was this season, first game of the season at Rutgers, again. 61 yards, uh, back-to-back seasons against Rutgers, as I said. Number seven was the next week against Montana at home for 67 yards, and that broke the conference record, which uh, was held at that point by Deshaun Jackson of Cal. Number eight was was the third week in a row against Fresno State for 77 yards, and then our final one was, or his final one was this past Saturday against Oregon. Yeah, so pretty impressive. It is. It is really impressive, and and you think about, I, I mean, even the guy that he passed, Wes Welker. You imagine Wes Welker returning a punt, and it's. Imagining a lot of, of juke moves and and hesitation, kind of the Dante Hall style return um, out of Wes Welker there. But with Pettis, he just he kind of treats people like they're not there. He just runs over people, not in the the truck stick sense, but literally just runs on top of of what seemingly lying bodies in front front of him. Peterson was on uh, on a press conference today talking about how. He just is kind of like a hurdler out there. He just jumps over people on his way to the end zone. He's just a galloping force of nature. Yeah, um, yeah, really good, really good blocking and, and a really um, you know just patient returner equals success. And, and you know you know how much time Peterson spends with with his punt returners in, in practice. Those are the only people he usually deals with during practice itself. Um, so you know it's important. So I think it just kind of was a, a match of the minds between Peterson and Pettis for for that punt return combination. Yeah, any any favorites there in the in that stack of, of returns? I mean, I think it has to be as fifth against Utah because just the severity of of that game being undefeated seven and zero at that point, trying to maintain the undefeated season. As yeah, well in, as in a tie game. So late, yeah, so late in the game. I just remember. Being in awe watching that, like, wow, okay, these are the type of breaks you got to get in order to, in order to go undefeated, I guess. So um, that has to be the, the biggest one. Yeah, he's he's had plenty, and some that are more dazzling than others. Um, he's he's definitely feasted on on the Montanas and the Fresno States of the world um, for a lot of these. So so you know, not all of them are game breakers in in big you know important games, but uh, just just an incredible talent. I think I think the Oregon one, the one that just happened this past weekend. Was at a good time. It was at the point where it was kind of um, an early backbreaker, an early gut punch to Oregon. Um, so of of those nine returns that he's had, you, you feel only three or so of them have been really consequential, and, and that might have been one of them. Agreed. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. I mean, Dante Pettis. Anytime you set a school record, uh, Browning's about to do it next week with with touchdown passes. Um, so, so that should be fun as well. It's, it's just the, uh, the productivity that we've gotten out of, out of this, this Peterson group in the last couple of years is just, you know, we talked about the, the 08, 09 Huskies and there just was no production there in terms of statistics. And so, uh, you're starting to see these records just get blasted, um, because of the, the system that's set up. 
But speaking of which, my, my second point here for, for second down is just talking about how something we, we discussed last week, just time to get the, the ball in the hands of, of the, the best playmakers here. There's a lot of injuries in this UW offense. Um, it comes down to it. Miles Gaskin, LeVon Coleman, Savon Ackman, those are your three best, three of your four best offensive players, not to mention uh, the guy that we were just talking about. But for the second straight week, those three guys lead the team in touches. Uh, you had Gaskin with 17 touches, LeVon Coleman with 13, uh, and then Savon Ahmed with, with nine, including his two kick returns. Um, so it's just kind of this streamlined offense where you don't really have a ton of talent. You're, you're losing Hunter Bryant. You know, you didn't have Quentin Pounds this week, who has been kind of off and on anyways, but uh, just really starting to, to condense this and say, you know, we've, we've got these four guys that are all Pac-12 ca- caliber, and we're going to make sure that they get the ball as, as much as possible. And, and they did a good job of spreading it around. I mean, Ackman got six carries, and obviously the big one for 58 yards and a touchdown. But Levon Goldman got 12, and Gaskin got 17. So there's some good balance there. Cohen wasn't as effective as he normally is, but you know when that happens, you have at least one, if not two, guys that can pick up the slack. So it's been great, and uh, I'm actually excited to see maybe Ahmed not be, give it to him, uh, you know, from from the backfield and not out of the fly sweep or anything, just to see a little bit different. Because it seems like all the big plays that Ahmed has had so far is off the fly sweep, but. You know, if if once he becomes a starting running back, it's not like he's going to be lining up at a wide receiver every down to get the ball. So yeah, it, it's it's wild how quickly he has become uh, a, a point of concern for other teams. The the first touchdown Miles Gaskin had the long one, I think it was the thirty six yarder, uh, came off of a fake reverse to Ahmed, and yeah. the entire yeah, exactly. defense went to Ahmed thinking that's the guy I'm sitting the playoff for. But it's like, uh, what about the uh, the back to back thirteen hundred yard rusher that that has the ball? Faking to Ahmed, so um, it's definitely at the point where where teams recognize Ahmed. He's not, you know. I kind of felt with Chico McClatcher, they wanted him to be that, but teams just didn't give him the respect um, that that the Huskies did, or, or that the, the Huskies wanted them to. Especially Alabama in that title game, just it was not happening. Um, that still might be the case at that that level of competition, but uh, yeah, Ahmed, he's he's the real deal, and teams are starting to take notice. I think. This this is a bold statement, but I think talent wise, he might be the most talented running back on this on this Washington roster. Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to say. He's not getting the volume um, of, of the other guys, and and you know certainly there's reasons for that as as just a freshman, and you're you're dealing with two All Pac-12 caliber backs in front of him. But um, yeah, I mean his his speed, his vision, his open open field ability is is it's electric. Mm-hmm. That's talent, not the best. Just to clarify, there. I think in a, I think in a in a couple of years, in two years, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised if he's not the starting running back for this team. I wonder how close it got because I remember in in high school at Juanita, he was he was a, a, a two way player, offensive player and a defensive player, and, and a lot of people said he could he could start at corner, he could start at safety. I wonder how close it got with uh, having those two two running backs ahead of him to saying. Let's put him a corner this year. Really maximize his effectiveness. If I'm remembering correctly, I think they were they had him at running back all the way. The coaching staff, but uh, I mean, it seems like a lot of the the guys we recruit are play both ways. So I could be getting confused there, but definitely happy that he's on the offensive side of the ball because we've seen flashes of brilliance from him so far, and it uh, should be exciting to see what he does uh, going forward here. Yeah, once he showed up at UW, it was it was offense all the way, but. But uh, I wonder what the the discussions were thinking. You know, you got yeah. two guys in front of him. 
I'm sure he's capable on the other side of the ball too if he put in the time. Yeah, real, real, real quick as I'm about to get sacked here in second down. There was a nice, uh, nice little Aaron Fuller game as well. Uh, good to see someone other than Dante Pettis step up with Hunter Bryant now out for the season. Yeah, 76 yards on four receptions. That's, I think, a season high. Yeah, oh, yeah. easily a season high in yardage. So uh, nice to see him involved, especially because he didn't record any. Did he, but did he even play uh, last week against UCLA? I can't even remember, but he didn't record any stats in that game. So, um, yeah, definitely nice to see him involved, especially knowing that we're going to be losing a Dante Pettis uh, uh, after the season. So there's going to be have to be receivers that are going to step step up and fill that void, void similar to how uh, Hunter Bryant has done this year with uh, the loss of Ross and John Ross and um, how Dante Pettis has done the same as well. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely good. It, it, we have a lot of uh, a lot of receivers in, waiting in the wings, if you will, uh, that are redshirting right now. So definitely we'll have some competition, but. Fuller will be one of the more experienced receivers uh, starting next season, so uh, yeah. definitely nice to see some production of him or from him uh, at this point. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's kind of at this point every year in college football, you start thinking about what the next year's team is gonna start is gonna look like, and you know you, you project the 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 matriculation of, of juniors and seniors out of the program and and what's gonna happen in the depth chart. And I think that's one of the best things about the game is it's just it's this kind of constantly evolving thing, but. Anyways, lots of penalties there on second down. We had lots of lots of uh, <laughs> lots of sub points. Uh, we were scrambling for a while. Yeah, we really were. Uh, we'll move on to third down. What do you got for us? I have the uh, weekly UW defense update, which uh, it's becoming a common occurrence for me. But I mean, it just can't go unannounced, just because how good this defense is. So we're still good. You're Nothing. saying. Uh, yeah, I think we're still good. Yeah. Um, held Oregon to three points this Saturday, which was the. Uh, lowest amount of points Oregon has scored in a game since 2007, and the lowest amount of points they've scored in this series against UW since 1992, when we beat them uh, 24 to three. Um, so, a game you remember very well. What was that? A game you remember very well. Oh yeah, yeah. At the at the age of eight months or so. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, I was uh, just looking at the stats from a national perspective, uh, and UW leads this continues to lead the country in total yards per game uh, at 242.1 yards which is a few yards better than Alabama and Michigan who are tied at second with 245.3 so um, you know not not like we played any great teams by any stretch but I think it's still saying something if you're averaging you know only conceding 11.1 points per game which is the second best in the country only behind 9.8 from Alabama um, on top of that, you have passing yards number three in the country at 149.8, and that's saying a lot given the fact you've lost your, both your starting corners for uh, extended periods of time with Byron Murphy, um, and then now Jordan Miller out for the season. So uh, that's just absolutely incredible, which we've talked about in previous podcasts is that that was kind of the question mark of the season on the defense coming in, and obviously that's just been a non-factor at this point. Um, I saw a stat today that UW's defense uh, has only given up eight touchdowns so far this season, so not counting any pick sixes that the offense has conceded or anything like that. Eight touchdowns. We're nine games into the season, so that's less than a touchdown per game. Uh, And on top of that, the next best team in the conference is at 21. I'm I'm escaping who that is, but it's just not even close. So um, 
pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Bowman with another sack as well, so he's up to four and a half. So this entire defense just seems to continue to click and click, and it'll be yeah. interesting to see what they can do against Stanford here this it, Friday. It's uh. It's it's crazy that the the statistics that the UW defense is putting up the eight touchdowns. I mean, everything is, is pace adjusted these days in college football, and to only have I mean, you could have a great defensive performance and give up twenty points these days. So so to to have have what we're having right now, where teams literally cannot score, um, is just it's it's astronomical. And, and yeah, I mean, you talk about some of the individual performances there. Uh, obviously, missing some guys. Hopefully, get Byron Murphy back by you know the, the apple cup days obviously he can take his time um against a team like stanford coming up with not a lot of uh you know not a lot of passing threats there but just some of the stuff you see qualitatively like vita vea chasing down braxton burmeister who is a decent athlete in himself the the oregon quarterback but chasing him down going step for step to the sideline and that dude is 350 pounds um I, 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 the physics of Vita Vea are just astounding to me. It's, it's amazing. I mean, that's, that's one of the many reasons as why he's probably going to be a first round pick, but, uh, yeah, he just continues to amaze me and let's not forget about Greg Gaines, who also is capable of doing that, did that, uh, this, this past Saturday as well. So, uh, and they're always, you know, rotating guys in and out so it's nice in that regard because you can keep your best guys fresh um so yeah there's a there's a lot of options on this defense um i think we need to point out ben burkerman had another great game with oh yeah with 10 tackles uh he bumps it up his tackle total to 59 which is above and beyond everybody else on the team by 19 yeah um, tackles so there's your reason why zine victor's not really getting any playing time amazingly what's crazy about ben Kirvin is that he does so well for the dogs on saturdays and then he goes out and plays slot receiver for the cowboys on sundays it's yeah yeah <laughs> uh, with a different name but it's yeah definitely him just puts just puts beasley on the back of his jersey and and wears 11 and then all of a sudden <laughs> um pretty sure he had a touchdown this weekend yeah he did great great dance too yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, the 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 guys that, that they have out there right now are are playing extremely well. Um, Oregon, uh, we'll go right into fourth down here. It's a little, uh, you know, it's like you know you're going for it on a fourth down, so mm-hmm. you kind of have two we're, plays we're between the thirty and the forty. Yeah, we, exactly. You know, Tristan Viscano's struggled a little bit, so right, we're going for it. exactly. It was like third and six, and you ran for it, so you know you're going for it on fourth down. That's where we're at right now. Uh, my point was similar, just that. You know, Oregon tried the same game plan that Arizona State did: control the clock, run. You know, pick up pick up small gains, quick passes. Uh, but there was just nothing there. The, the Oregon doesn't have the the big body receivers that Arizona State did that can kind of control possession and um, kind of just sit down at the first down marker like Arizona State was doing. And, and as a result, Oregon didn't have a pass play over ten yards over the in the entire game, which is. Just incredible. Oregon was never a team that was going to blow you up from a passing perspective, but uh, just the explosive plays just weren't there, um, which is you know just kind of a state of the Oregon program at this point, and also a credit to the to the UW defense. So that was good to see. My fourth down point here is talking about how how much better the Huskies have been on third down relative to that aforementioned Arizona State game. The the same game is it's the reason that we're playing catch-up in the National College Football Playoff race. Um, in that game, we were 3 of 14 on third down, just couldn't keep drives going, uh, had a lot of third and longs. 
these last two games, you've had uh, five of eleven on third down against UCLA, seven of thirteen on third down against against Oregon, fifty percent on third down. Obviously, you could do better, but that's so much better than than what that Arizona State game was. And I think uh, you know, obviously, it's just not every third down is is created equals. You got third and two is much easier to convert than third and nine. Much better on first down. The Huskies have been over the last couple of games against Arizona State. We're only averaging 3.9 yards on first down against UCLA. Went up to 6.25 and all the way up to 6.7 against uh, Oregon. So just kind of more explosive plays early in drives, early in downs uh, for Washington is setting up a lot more easy third and shorts uh, to convert and keep those drives going. Um, and I, I think it, you know it's kind of all connected. We're talking about this expanded running game. And uh, the, the the repercussions that are coming as a result of that. It's it's nice when UCLA decides to not really feel the defensive line, so that's that's nice in that department there. But boosting that stat, but uh, back to the third downs. Uh, looking at this, looks like UW's twelfth in the country right now on third down conversions with forty seven point two percent. So, um, I mean, comparatively, you got to be happy about that. So. Um, Who, who's one I, on that list by, by by chance? One is Wisconsin with an asterisk because <laughs> they also have not played anybody, but they're at fifty three point five percent. Yeah, so so um, the best teams in the country are are basically a coin flip on third down, um, and that's right where the Huskies have been over the last couple of weeks. One interesting point while we're looking at this: uh, Army, Air Force, and Navy are all in the top seven. So something about just such discipline. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You gotta love that. That's great. That's sound football right there. Absolutely. Yeah. No. No turnovers. Just <laughs> just putting the head down and getting it done. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so just an improved offense in general. Obviously, you're kind of seeing this slight regression from Jake Browning. He's not the not even going to be close to the to the Heisman conversation like he was last year. Um, but just not really in the game manager territory because I always feel like that's a slight on the quarterback. Uh, but definitely just more of a of a facilitator role in that kind of sense where, um, you know, it's not, it's not on him to just make these explosive plays himself. It's, uh, he's just kind of in these nice situations where he can hit open guys and, and just be an accurate, accurate thrower of the football. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't, I mean, for all the reasons we described before, you don't really need him to be some crazy, uh, quarterback for us. Like, like Keith Price used to have to do back in the day, but, uh, but you know he's still capable of that, and uh, I think he, I think he's either the second or third most efficient quarterback in the conference. Uh, still, even though he's attempted uh, many, many, uh, much fewer uh, passes comparatively, so nothing to be worried about. Uh, and he would say, as along with Chris Peterson, that stats don't really matter; it just matters what's in the win column and the loss column. So, uh, not worried about that at all. Yeah, definitely not. It's um, it, he'll have his moments. Obviously, this team has kind of taken on a new running identity, but um, he he still is a guy that that you'd have friends can trust to make a big play down the field. So, talking about the last couple of weeks, we got mixed some UCLA talk in there with with some Oregon talk, and it's all it's all you know roses compared to uh, compared to that ASU game. So, so we're definitely on the up and up. Next up on the schedule though is Stanford, a team who. Uh, UW's had some good battles with over the last four or five years. Stanford's kind of been at the top of the conference through the, the Andrew Luck, Kevin Hogan days. Um, the first year without either of those two guys was last year. 
And then UW laid the absolute whooping on Stanford in the game that kind of put them on the map last year on a Friday night. I don't know what the difference is between Stanford's team this year and Stanford's team last year. Obviously, Chris McCaffrey's gone. Um, or, you know, if they got any better since they were last year, I think they're kind of ranked a little too highly in that game. Um, obviously, we've talked about how much UW has lost since that game. John Ross isn't playing anymore. The defensive line, you know, JoJo Mathis isn't there. But this is still a big game Friday night. This is kind of UW's chance to, to get a quality win on the on the on the board here what are your what are your big points about the Stanford game coming up well I think you have to look no further than Bryce Love who has been everything for their offense and their team so far this year um he struggled a bit against Washington State um I believe he had less than 100 yards yep in that game which was by far his least uh yeah 69 yards and a touchdown but, you know, before that game, he didn't play against Oregon State, but before that game, he started 180 in touchdown, 160 in touchdown, 184, two touchdowns, 263 against UCLA in a touchdown, 301 and three touchdowns against ASU, 152 in a touchdown at Utah, and 147, two touchdowns at Oregon. So he's averaging well above 150 yards per game. Um, so, no, we, we can't let him off the hook. And uh, But if there's any defense to stop him, it uh, would be the Husky defense. So uh, he's the main guy. you got to stop him. Um, Stanford will you know, have their tight end game and their line game and all that stuff and their elephant package and you name it. But uh, I like I like our, our chances in this one if we can bottle up Bryce Love, similar to the Coops uh, last weekend. Um, the Coops are actually – amazingly good at stopping the run um but but UW is slightly better so uh that gives me hope that we can do the same this weekend yeah Bryce Love had 52 yards and one carry on the first drive against against uh Wazoo and then was bottled up I think for 15 carries for 17 yards the rest of the way out and when you can do that Stanford doesn't really have a, a plan <laughs> get their guy sprung for for just massive gashing gains on you uh, Bryce Love averaging 9.6 yards a carry, even with that that struggle game against Wazoo. So he's basically a first down every time he touches the ball. Um, obviously, that's that's not actually what happens. It's more the product of, of big gains. So uh, I don't think he'll be able to to spring the big gains against UW. Um, so it's just a matter of of can you keep him bottled up and and keep Stanford uh, from sustaining drives and and forcing them to punt the football. And I think that's where that's where UW wants to be the whole game. Uh, about Stanford, they they've kind of settled into this like you know grinded out defensive team under under David Shaw with you know just average at best quarterback play, hoping to get, win games on the ground. And I was thinking about other teams that have followed that model and how it's just it's not a sustainable one for 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 college football these days. And I've I've deemed Stanford the LSU of the West. How do you feel about that? Uh, I think they have academics a bit more in LSU, <laughs> if we're, we're talking that. But, uh, yeah, I can see that uh, uh, LSU is, has been quite like a running back factory for a while now. Uh, when we played them uh, a few years back, they had, um, was it Jeremy Hill and Alfred Blue, and there was a few more. They had like four running backs at the time that were just – 
insane. Am I, do you, can you remember any of them off the top of your head? Yeah, they, they were they were pounding them out. I think the the Hill and, and Blue were the names I remember. I think 14-year-old Leonard Fournette probably could have started in that backfield as well. Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> uh, But yeah, they've, they've been known as that sort of offensive offense coming out of the running game uh team ever since the last miles days but but yeah stanford is kind of settling into that uh, killer chris was starting for them at qb i i could tell you as soon as he just shat himself against uw last year that that kid was going to struggle in the conference um they seem to have have graduated to kj costello their their freshman who uh looks a little bit more competent that they, they seem to have some hope for him uh being a being a star quarterback in the making, but in the meantime, he's still a freshman quarterback who's had trouble um, really making plays down the field. So I, I think UW is in a position where they can they can feast. Uh, you know, you, you kind of worry. Good defense of Stanford, good running game, kind of average quarterback play. Doesn't that kind of sound like the the ASU formula? Um, I just think there's a difference between Manny Wilkins and. Keller or and, uh, KJ Costello. Many Wilkins is a guy who's played in this conference who can make plays with his feet and keep keep plays alive. I don't think that Costello is in that same mold. So I, I I'm not too worried about this. I know UW is I think seven point favorites on the road here. Uh, I predicted a cover last week against Oregon. I'm feeling it again. I'm, I'm putting my monopoly money, my my no no spending account right now money on uh, on the dogs to cover. Yeah, I, whenever you play Stanford, it's like every point is that much more valuable because it's always a, you know, just a heavyweight bout uh, where you got to slug it out until the end, and it ends in like a thirteen to nine finish or something weird. Um, but yeah, back to Costello, I not much to be uh, at this point to be concerned about. Honestly, went nine for twenty for one hundred five yards, no touchdowns, and a pick against WSU last weekend. Um, I, I, I just, I, if I compare that game to UW, I just got to believe that even, even down on the farm, we should be able to handle these guys. Um, but with that said, Stanford has been, been good and they're capable of, uh, of, you know, popping one off here or there, uh, uh, whenever. So, uh, you can't take them lightly. That's for sure. You ever been to the farm? I have not. Uh, I know you have. You drove down. Uh, it seems seems like a pretty generic stadium. What would you say? The actual stadium, yeah, feels a little feels a little generic. It's it's obviously in Northern California. If you go at the right time of the year, it's it's beautiful and and the perfect weather for late September. But uh, yeah, pretty good tailgating asp- or uh, kind of environment. They they have uh, similar to what Ole Miss describes as like the Grove, where you walk through and it's this big open. Um, land area as you're coming into the stadium. Similar feels there um, in, in the, the, the Stanford neck of the woods in Palo Alto down there. A um, little bit of, I would say, bouginess. Do, do you know doing that, doing that term for the, the fan base there? Yeah, yeah. So I should wear a collared shirt. I'm, I'm flying down on Thursday. Yeah. So actually for this one. So. Definitely bring a collared shirt. Start talking like this. About yeah, maybe a visor. I'll bring my resume with me. You yeah. Know, this could network while we're there. <laughs> Yes, please, please bring your resume. Um, just, just make it, make it really. Uh, I don't know if you want to piss them off, but make a really like fake, shitty resume and just hand it out to to people and, and try and pitch yourself. I, I like the idea. Yeah, uh, I, I, I've been working at Microsoft for the past ten years, even though I'm 25. So that's what I'll go. Yeah, with. exactly. Just make stuff up. You'll be a venture capitalist by the time you get out of there. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, highly recommend Stanford for for uh, a NorCal trip. I got some buddies that'll be there. Um, unfortunately, can't make it out, but you're gonna hold down the fort for us. Um, any more points on Stanford before we talk about the national scene? Uh, no, let's just win so we can make our stay relevant in this whole thing yeah we're doing it right we're talking about the the actual game in front of us before we talk about the yeah, national scene new concept for us. <laughs> uh yeah we're one 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 for two on that so we're gonna we're gonna try and streamline it and actually go what's in front of us first and then talk about the big picture big picture being last week we drank some hawk juice we talked about how important iowa beating uh, Ohio State was going to be for for the Huskies, and it worked. Um, Iowa got got it done for us. We also told you to root for Michigan State, and Sparty did the damn thing, and they beat Penn State in an elongated uh, thriller of a game. So those were two big wins um, for 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 UW's purpose. Eliminated for the for all intents and purposes, Ohio State and Penn State from the national playoff perspective, which is great news. Now there's just only what. Eight more teams that we got to get get rid of before now and and uh, early December. Yeah, it looks like eight. I'm not counting UCF and, and uh, Memphis. Sorry, guys. So uh, yeah, looks like eight will be or nine. Got it. All right. Well, uh, who should we root for this week? All right. So the first game on the docket for this coming weekend is Georgia at Auburn. Um, not your most obvious one, as Auburn's already effectively eliminated with two losses but the big thing here involves georgia so georgia if they were to win they have kentucky and georgia tech uh to finish out their season uh two opponents that probably won't give them that much of a fight um and at that point they'll most likely go undefeated into the sec title game where they will probably face an undefeated alabama team um and at that point, if they were to lose to Alabama, they would ha- only have one loss. So there's a pretty good chance that they'd still be in the cultural playoff uh, discussion. Whereas if Auburn were to knock them off, um, that would give them a first loss um, coupled with that probable second loss in the conference championship because they're going to the conference championship already. They've already clinched it. So that would give them two losses in the championship against Alabama. And that would, I think, eliminate them from the, from the playoff. It's kind of tough. I, f- I feel like... I'm always banking on, well, if they have two losses, they're eliminated, but the committee could uh, kind of surprise us this year and put a two-loss team in. But I think that's the best uh, situation for us regarding that game. Yeah, um, yeah, we, we've talked before about how the committee has never, since the, the playoff was, was started three years ago, it's never allowed a two-loss team into the playoff. Um, circumstance with just four teams, there's always going to be a better-looking undefeated and, and one-loss team. Uh, I was looking at that, like ESPN's FPI and UW and, and Penn State and, and Ohio State are still in the top six teams uh, in terms of ESPN's just who's the best team in the nation. Uh, but those losses are are the big ones here. So uh, I would feel confident with you that if Georgia were to end up with two losses somehow, uh, that would that would bounce them out of the playoff, no matter how good of a resume they have. So we're big Auburn fans this weekend. Yep. Uh, War Eagle. Yeah, game, um, game is in Auburn. It's not even that much of a pipe pipe dream. Uh, uh, we could look up the, the the national or the tailgate drink of choice for Auburn fans like we did with Hawk Juice last week. Worked probably out pretty... Tiger or Eagle related, I would say. Yeah, t- definitely probably Tiger's blood, if I had to guess that. Yeah. I, I, I could <laughs> wow. see I could see them either having that before Charlie Sheen started talking about that or once he started talking <laughs> about that, they're like, that's our stuff. Um, that's pretty yeah, hardcore. Yeah. It's, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, so definitely big Auburn fans. Uh, there's 
we'll get we'll get to one more game. We'll talk in detail about the rest of them. We'll just run through real quick. Florida State, we want them to beat Clemson. Florida State's been a huge disappointment this year for a lot of reasons. Um, but Clemson lost a very winnable game last year against uh, Pitt uh, at this point in the season that they kind of put their playoff um, hopes in jeopardy late in the season. So it can happen. We want Iowa go Hawks to beat uh, to beat Wisconsin, the other fraudulent team, the, the other fraudulent UW team in the in the playoff uh, playoff race. So we want Iowa to pull it off. We want USC to beat Colorado. Real quick, explain to everybody why we want USC to win. The better they are when we when we potentially face them in the Pac-12 title game, the better for us. It is that simple, folks. Uh, same deal with Wazoo beating Utah. I know we play Utah as well. Uh, but we want that that Wazoo game to matter because I think I think a late season big game is is better than a big game the week before uh, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it's just it's just the more momentum the better. Uh, Bama does play at Mississippi State this week. Uh, Mississippi State is ranked. Any chance that one happens? No, I don't <laughs> think so. They struggled against uh, who was it? It was like a. A really small out of conference team last week. They beat them like 33, 34 to 23. Um, oh. I got it right here. It is Mystery team. UMass. UMass. 34 to 23, the Minutemen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, gave them quite a game uh, in Starkville. So that uh, kind of makes me believe that <laughs> it's going to be one way traffic in this one and it's going to be all Alabama. I like that one-way traffic. I've never heard that one. Yeah, it's a soccer term, so uh, we're bringing in some uh, some different words here. Saw saw two dudes on the uh, on the train the other day talking about going to Chelsea game or watching a Chelsea game. Um, that's like a, a realistic thing on a Sunday morning, right? Yeah, yeah, cool. for, especially for you on the East Coast. Yeah, it starts later in the morning. Yeah, yeah, British British dude wearing plaid shorts um, had to respect his game in forty-five degree weather wearing plaid shorts and a Chelsea jersey. Um, but he, he got after it. Next game would be uh, Arizona State. This is a sneaky one. We want them to beat UCLA. Arizona State has a chance to end the season eight and four on a four-game winning streak. I think that would be wow. huge for uh, you know they, they the Arizona State has this week. They got UCLA, who's just kind of in shambles right now. Uh, then they go at Oregon State, which is just the the layup game in the Pac-12, and then they finish the season for the rivalry game against Arizona. Territorial Cup. Territorial Cup. Uh, winning winning those games would put them at eight, eight and four, which would make that loss that UW had in Tempe look a little bit better when it comes down to, to resume comparison time. Agreed. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I was trying to see if there's any chance they could actually sneak into the conference title game, but it looks like with that loss to USC, it's probably not possible. Yeah, and I don't know if we want that happening anyways. I think that, yeah, that, very U- true. that USC win is is the uh, the pedigree buster or boomer or whatever you want to say for, for UW at the end of the season. Um, Very true. And then the, the big one here, and this is a tough one to kind of sort out, is Notre Dame at Miami. Uh, both Notre Dame is, is a one-loss team. They're only lost coming to number one Georgia. So they're looking pretty as long as they can run the table. Uh, and then Miami, who's uh, eighth or ninth right now, Miami is undefeated, but is kind of that undefeated team without a, without a big signature win. So – who do we root for in this? Because in theory, we can eliminate a team uh, if they lose this week. That's that's the thing. Is are they at, would would Notre Dame actually be quote unquote eliminated if they were to lose this week? Well, we we two just talked about two be, losses. Yeah, I, I know we did, but their two losses would be one point 
to Georgia and then at Miami. Uh, It's just, it's tough. Let's just say for the sake of this whole process, two losses, like we said, is eliminated. Um, Man, you you almost want Miami to lose. I I don't really know. It's kind of, either way kind of helps, but it kind of hurts at the same time. It's hard to really... Yeah, it, it is tricky, and this will this will flow well into our next segment. It's 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 kind of like that that Oklahoma OSU game last weekend. There was really no bad loser uh, for UW, but the the more time you have left, or the less time you have left in the season, the more these things start to start to matter. So so I laid out a a, a scenario that I think is is not realistic. I'm not asking Alabama to lose to to Mercer next week. I'm I'm, I'm I've got this whole thing figured out. Are you ready for this? Okay. Yes. Okay. So this this is how UW gets into the the playoff picture. We need Georgia to lose to Auburn. All right. So so that situation we described. Yep. This weekend we also need Wisconsin to lose to Iowa, aka Hawk the, juice. the Giant Killers, aka yep. Hawk, Hawk Juice runs through our veins. All right. So that would bounce Wisconsin. I don't think that there'd be any way for Wisconsin to reconcile no. that loss. Okay, they so, have a worse strength of schedule than UW, just to put it out there. Exactly, so. right? We also I've, – I've officially decided the white smoke has come out of the Vatican or, or the white mm-hmm. smoke has come out of the Miami Tunnel. We need Miami to beat Notre Dame. Okay, that, right. so Miami would maintain their undefeated season. Yes. Saying. We okay. also have to come to grips with the fact that we want Oklahoma in the four-team playoff. They are one of the four teams that we can support getting in. All right. Explain. Stay with me. Oklahoma beats okay. TCU this week, right? Which would put TCU in the the fragile one loss territory where they would lose yes. one more game and be out. Okay, so there'd be two more opportunities for that to happen. The fault. So this week is is the week where a lot of moving and shaking can happen. There's more ranked teams playing this week than there are next week, right? So those four games that I just laid out, Georgia's got to beat or lose to Auburn. Wisconsin's got to lose to Iowa. This doesn't have to happen, but I think we want Miami beating Notre Dame, and we want Oklahoma bouncing TCU. We also want Oklahoma as one of the four teams in the playoff. The other two teams that we want in the playoff are Alabama and Clemson. Those are the, those Good are chance that Clemson and Alabama make it, obviously. Yeah, well. they can run the table. Their schedules are looking that way. Uh-huh. Oklahoma would be the third team. UW wants to be the fourth team. How that happens, the following week, Texas Tech beats TCU. Right, that would. Oh, oh my! <laughs> that, that's that's an optional game. It's a pivot game. If Texas Tech beats TCU, TCU is out of the picture, no doubt about it. TCU could also have a chance to lose to Oklahoma again in the in the Big Twelve title game, which would effectively bounce them as well. Okay, we've got another opportunity for Wisconsin to lose this weekend or the following weekend, is if Wisconsin loses to Michigan. Okay, I, I think that those teams are a lot more evenly matched uh, than their than their ranking would show. So, Agreed. Michigan has a real defense too. So. Yeah, yeah. There's there's an opportunity there for for Wisconsin to lose. They played two legitimate teams back to back. I would think that they would fall to one of them, right? Which would eliminate Wisconsin. The following week, so we're talking two weeks ahead of ahead of where we are right now. Uh, Pitt, right, is going to come in clutch for us because they need to similar beat, to last year. They need I to think. beat Miami in this this game. It would be Pitt's opportunity for bowl eligibility. Bowl eligibility at that point. Uh, they'll beat North Carolina this week, and then they'll be staring at five wins heading into that that Miami game uh, in Pittsburgh. Okay, so that that okay. game would be huge uh, for Pitt to win to for their bowl purposes. They have something to play for. 
uh, and to bounce Miami. So Max Brown, we're going to need you, buddy. Uh, we also need Notre Dame to probably lose again to Stanford, which I think could happen um, to to fully eliminate them, even though we're pretty solid that a two-loss team is not going to make the playoffs. But if there's any team that can get in a way on some, some BS, it's Notre Dame, who inflates their, their own ranking um, on an annual basis. All right? They also don't have a conference title game that they have to play, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah, lots, lots of things to be annoyed with about Notre Dame. We also would want Bama to beat Auburn to get Auburn out of the picture. And then in the championship week, uh, Georgia would lose to Alabama, so Georgia would officially be out. Clemson would beat Miami. Miami would take its second loss and be officially out. And that would be, and then we just need any team to beat Wisconsin, uh, assuming that they hadn't already lost. So, um, wow, <laughs> that's a lot. That's that's a monologue, and the fact that it is a monologue of, of what needs to happen kind of shows you uh, the depth of, of of the despair that UW is facing right now. But I don't think anything I said was was nuts. Am I am I am I wrong there? I don't think so. Uh, if that exactly what you just said happens. Uh, we are booking a trip to Vegas immediately following this uh, this season to uh, ride that luck. Yeah, yeah. Because that would be insane. And I'm just going to show them the the page of my notebook that and say just whatever whatever this is, uh, <laughs> whatever the monetary value of this page is, I'm, I'm betting the house on it. Um, yes. So so yeah, I think that's that's a semi realistic scenario. I was I was playing it through my head this morning on the train and. I figured there's, you just at some point have to decide the three teams um, that UW would be joining in the in the playoff, and, and that's how it's got to go. I, I'm honestly uh, pretty impressed because in my section of notes for this, I said for you to make the playoff, and then I just listed like about four question marks <laughs> and just left it blank and moved on. And I think there's so, a – correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a drool stain somewhere over there too? Yeah, yeah. I just I – just, uh, thought about it for so long i just kind of like my my brain broke yeah so I just melted onto the paper <laughs> uh yeah so so sin's notes uh this week had a staple in them there were six pages but but couldn't figure that part out it is it is nope. incredibly tricky to figure figure out how this stuff is because we could we could we could lay it out perfectly and then we're up to a a committee to to decide um the fate there so we shall see obviously the big part of all of that scenario is UW's got to keep winning so yep. st- starts with Stanford this week uh, and then we'll continue for the rest of the season and not only win but to win in uh, in convincing fashion agreed alright well it's as easy as that Stan for us to, to, to be playoff bound once again and to have, have some college football in January I hope it happens we shall see in the meantime uh, we'll, we'll talk about something that we don't have to be conditional about Bob Rondo, the the great uh, voice of the Huskies for for decades here. Uh, this is his final season. He will he will retire as as UW announcer um, as soon as the the football season is over. He's just a, he's an all time great. He's a pro's pro. He's he's prepared for every game. He's he's got a great voice. He's got a great enthusiasm to him. Um, has certainly narrated a lot of the moments that that you and I have have held dear in our lives. Um, Bob Rondo, we're going to miss him. We got Tony Castricone coming next season. I like him. I like his enthusiasm, uh, but it's going to be tough to, uh, to, to transition out of Bob Rondo. Do you have any favorite Bob Rondo calls over the years? Uh, I think my favorite is actually on the basketball side, uh, is the call he made when Isaiah Thomas hit the game winner in the Pac-12, 2011 Pac-12 tournament or Pac-10 tournament at the time against Arizona. Um, 
he Rondo was like I think he was sick. His voice was he was losing his voice, and when he was screaming after that that uh, three pointer uh, went through, uh, I, I kind of felt like like is this guy gonna pass out on the air? Um, it you should listen back to it if you're if you're curious because it's an outstanding call and something that will be listened to for many years to come. Uh, there's that. There's also. Um, Uh, There's just so many great games. I love his one-liners, like inside the five, inside the end zone, touchdown, things like that, that is kind of just what makes him himself, uh, or touchdown Washington, uh, uh, it's great. So I think he kind of goes in the same category as a uh, Dave Niehaus or Rick Riz for me, whereas he's kind of synonymous with my childhood, and then moving on into adulthood, he's continued to be that just um, awesome figure that I will miss dearly. But as you said, uh, Tony Castricone seems to be pretty good. I coming from the Clemson uh, network or he was working for the IMG network for Clemson and um, yeah, great enthusiasm. Uh, definitely recommend listening to some of his, uh, his videos, his, his calls on YouTube. Um, and yeah. he'll be starting, I think, actually this Friday uh, for the Husky basketball team. He uh, will, yeah. face Belmont. So if you want to hear him, you can hear him on Friday night during the Husky football game as well, which is terrible schedule, <laughs> by the way. But that's for another uh, another podcast. Yeah, wouldn't be, wouldn't it, wouldn't be any other way um, for how this this Husky season has gone with with start times and football games. Uh, yeah, yeah, Rondo, that, the game you're talking about with the Isaiah Thomas call, that game is on YouTube or that call is on YouTube. You can hear, hear him basically his esophagus sounds like it's, it's trying to jump out of his throat. He's, he's just absolutely out of, of energy trying to, to call that game. Um, yeah, just, just an absolute classic there. I love, I loved Rondo pronouncing names. I know the pronunciation meant a lot to him and and to the, to the professionals. It's just a big deal. And, and he's the one who taught me how to pronounce um, Pacific Islanders last names. And it's, there's a specific rhythm to it. You pronounce, I think I, you pronounce I have one in mind, by yeah, the way. Yeah. You pronounce every syllable in a, in a, in a last name like that. Um, and the one that, that comes to mind specifically, um, I remember the, the 2010 holiday bowl, uh, okay. the, when UW hadn't been in a bowl game in, in what was that? Nine years before that game. And, or seven years, I'm sorry. And so the the game started off. It was it was supposed to be on ESPN, but it's bowl season, so there's another game before it. And so I had to flip over to radio to actually watch or listen to the game. And I'd listened to a lot of that game actually through Rondo. And and one of the players that, that was playing for UW at the time was Alameda Taamu. And the way the Rondo call after Taamu made a sack or a, a big tackle for loss he would say Alameda Taamu to really emphasize the uh <laughs> the distance between the syllables uh and and it just sticks sticks in my head to this day uh of, of how to how to pronounce those names and just the, the enthusiasm he put into that and of course touchdown Washington it's just a, just a well-timed yeah. you're in you're in the car you're trying to cinch your ear to the to the to the radio and hear hear the call anytime you heard touchdown Washington it meant you know, fist pumping and high fives and uh, just just all around good feelings. Uh, not to go off topic here, but I think the greatest uh, Pacific Islander name that the Huskies have ever had is, and I can't even pronounce it to this day, Tui Aleafaleula or something along those lines, who back in like the early 2000s defensive tackle for us. So, uh, yeah. 
I'll, I'll do you one better, and it's it's one from the last four or five years. And this guy never really made it onto the scene for UW, but I wanted him to for for Rondo purposes. Was mm-hmm. Lawrence Longa Fuawina? Um, was oh it, yeah, yeah, the linebacker, uh, lineman, the the fire hydrant they called him. Oh okay, yeah, okay. yeah. We we wanted him to get on. Oh, the I'm field. thinking of Fuima Ono. <laughs> That's Princeton Fuima Ono. Uh, okay, no mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You also played in that in that same holiday bowl. So. Oh yeah, Longa Fuawina. He was a like a like a five foot five, three hundred twenty pound like high school running I back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so lots of reasons to miss Bob Rondo. Um, hopefully, we get to hear him through some uh, some big important games the rest of the season. Um, it's tough because you know you, you want to listen to him on the radio, and, and obviously you want the TV experience at the same time. And sometimes they're not quite synced, uh, so you can kind of hear things before you see them, or vice versa. But uh, but it's worth listening to Bob Rondo uh, just just for for the memories, and you know you're you're listening to a legend do something um anytime you hear someone that's that good at the job do it it's it's pretty remarkable so basically what you can take away from this podcast is make some hop juice on saturday settle down for the games and then mute your tv and turn on the radio and listen to bob ronda yeah um we well, we get the we get the opportunity to, to do kind of both because you got Bob Rondo on Friday and then and then uh, Hog Juice oh, yeah. Hog Juice reserved for Saturday. Saturday mornings and then watch beautiful watch chaos unfold. Yeah, Stan and I had a group text. And we're trying to to work through all the scenarios um, for for playoff purposes, and it really comes down to chaos. You just want every team with a number next to their name to to die essentially, and then mm-hmm. uh, and then you'd have to take care of business and. Um, you know, in that broadcast last week, they're talking and you know, saying if UW is is uh, wins the Pac-12 and only has one loss, then that would get them in. Not so sure about that. I think that that this year is a little bit different than last year, um, just because of of who that loss was to and and when it happened. So uh, we shall see. But should be fun. Lots lots to look forward to. Uh, make Saturdays very fun for for the next month or so. All right. Well, let's beat Stanford. Let's beat Why Stanford. Not? Get it done. Um, bottle up Bryce Love and, and get out of there. Uh, I think we're all good here. So it was great talking to you, Stan. We'll, uh, we'll do this again next week, hopefully with some more happy news and, and uh, with the, once the hawk juice hangover has, has gotten out of us. Yeah, go dogs. Go dogs, sir. Wherever I go, because I'm a husky baby. I'm a husky baby. A husky